What's up, fantasy nerds? Welcome back to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And today we jump into another patron-recommended title, Nine Princes in Amber by Roger Zelasny. And joining us for this discussion, and, and making his podcast debut while he's out it, is none other than my brother-in-law, Mr. Alan Keeler. Alan, welcome to the podcast, dude. Thank you very much for having me. No, thank you for recommending this this episode to us because this is uh this is going to be a really really fun one. And thank you for being a patron while we're at it. Got to get that one in there. Now we're taking a bit of a turn today, folks, because Drew and I this time are completely new to the author. Our guest, Alan, he's the one who's read this before. So if we have questions, Drew, we're just going to ask him. And in fact, <laughs> I already have one question for you, Alan. Yes. Just to give us some context and for those listening, how did you discover this series? Um, I actually was put on to the the um, onto the series. Um, actually, just back when I knew it was one book, um, probably when I was about eight or nine years old. My mom um, used to um, used to be a radio yeah. presenter, and she used to read bedtime stories through, like on the radio. And she was a DJ and everything like that. And so, what she would do is every night she would read me like a bedtime story, and she and she read me the first chapter in Nine Princes in Amber. And then she got to the end of the first chapter and was like, this isn't quite appropriate for an eight-year-old. <laughs> and so what I did was I stole the book, and I read it through, and I read it through, and I read yeah, it through. And then nice. I found the third book in this series by accident. And I read the third book, and I was like, I don't know what's happening. And then I found the fourth book, <laughs> and then I was like, I can't figure out what's happening. And then finally, uh, that actually came out where they just have all ten books in one. So, oh my gosh, that's a monster volume. Right so, here, boy. So so this is actually my third version of this one, because I've broken two before this. Um, nice. And I have two nice. more as well, because eventually it'll go out of print, and I, mm-hmm. I hoard things like this. So so yeah. So that's how I got turned on to it, um, by stealing it from my mom when she realized I shouldn't read it at all. That is fantastic. I love it. <laughs> that's awesome. I had no idea that, uh, that you had started so early, because I mean... I'm trying to think what I was doing at eight and nine years old, picking my nose, playing in the dirt, you know? Yeah, like, I, I, I was reading, like, the boxcar children. I sure wasn't reading Chronicles of Amber. I hadn't started <laughs> Harry Potter yet, even at that point. Oh, yeah. I, I think it was just because uh, I was told that I wasn't allowed to have it, and that really was like... Mm, it's that forbidden fruit mm-hmm. right there, eh? Oh, really? <laughs> this yeah. is too yeah. old for me? <laughs> I could just see eight, nine-year-old Alan doing his little Mission Impossible heist. Trying to plan it out. Where's that little book? Oh, there it is on mom's bedstand. All right. Yeah. Yeah, that, it's uncanny, but that's exactly what it was. Like, I think I broke something outside, and then I ran up and I stole the book. Nice. So. Nice. Sweet. All right. Well, Drew, despite the fact that you are completely new to the series, as I am, uh, I take it you still have a brief summary for us of what we've read this week? I do. Awesome. I do. All right. It is well, a br- go ahead. brief summary. Okay. <laughs> Since right. this book is only 175 pages long, I mean, very short, very quick read. Uh, it starts off with our main character, Corwin, uh, waking up in a hospital ward with amnesia. He's apparently suffered some sort of accident. And he just has a bad feeling about things. And he sort of strong arms and blackmails his way out of the hospital, finds out that he has a sister nearby, and he goes to visit her. And discovers along the way, while visiting his sister, that he does have some memories. And that his memories are tied to a place called Amber. And that he has many siblings, and they have packs of cards with uh, trump cards made after each of the children in their family. And he uh, makes contact with another brother named Random, 
and they are attacked by something called shadows, which was kind of crazy. And they decide, you know what? Like, we're gonna we're gonna go get to Amber. We're gonna get to Amber. And even though Corwin doesn't really know what that is, he's he's kind of acting like he does and going along with it. And so the first half of the book is mostly him trying to fake his way through things and learn as much as he can about his past and his siblings and and what is going on before he finally has to admit, look, I don't know what's going on here. And they bring him to a reflection, an undersea reflection version of Amber called Rem... Rebma. <laughs> I have such a hard time saying that word. Yeah. Um, uh, where there is something called the pattern, and he walks the pattern and regains his memories. And after that, he makes contact with another of his brothers, Blaze, and together they plot a, a revolution, essentially, to take over from their evil brother, Eric, who has decided he is going to crown himself king in Amber. And so Blaze and Corwin set off. Corwin with a navy, Blaze with an army. And along the way, their armies are just destroyed. And by the time they get to Amber, they only have a few dozen soldiers left from like over a quarter million. And Blaze is knocked off a cliff and disappears. Possibly dead, probably not. And uh, uh, Corwin is taken captive, is forced to help Eric crown himself. And then his eyes are gouged out and he's thrown in prison. But he regrows his eyes because he is a prince of Amber and he escapes. And we are left at the end of the book with him going off into a new shadow world to plot the next stage of his, uh, you know, revolution against Eric. What the f*** did we just read? <laughs> like, what, a, what an experience this was. I will, I'll start off by saying, going straight into style, I wasn't ready for this. And by that I mean I wasn't ready for how different of a book this was going to be. Um, I went into it completely sterile. I didn't look up anything about the author I did I didn't like I looked up nothing all I had to go on was having heard Alan you know glow about this series on occasion the mm -hmm. often occasion that we got talking about books you know oh, with, with us dorky types it happens a lot more than you think super annoying, uh, that's right oh yeah that, <laughs> yeah uh, our intro was immediately grabbing like I wasn't particularly impressed on one hand with the whole oh the main character wakes up with amnesia plot point until I realized that I just you know, actually, maybe I haven't read anything quite like that before. I think it may just, in my mind, just be a trope that maybe a lot of authors are afraid of falling into, so it doesn't actually get fully explored in the first place. Or maybe I just haven't read enough. But I was actually, on second thought, you know, immediately grabbed by the mystery of our protagonist's identity. I guess what I'm trying to say is that our introduction on, on paper, if you'll forgive the expression, it should come out as contrived. But it was it was handled with, like, such a dexterous and casual, more importantly, casual hand that I guess I was still hungry for more right out of the gate. How'd you guys, how did you guys find individually, let's start with Alan, the, the, the intro of the book? Did it grab you right away? Were you confused? Um, it grabbed me right away. Um, and every single time I reread it, I find that I'm kind of in the same situation on there. And I find I pick up new little snippets every time. But I find that with, with this book, I think maybe it's because it's so old. The whole amnesia thing hadn't been played out a thousand times before. Like, if you watched mm -hmm. another movie where someone gets bitten by somebody at the beginning of the movie, you'd be like, oh, it's a zombie movie. Like, you wouldn't need to go any further. But if you, the first time you watched a zombie movie, you would be like, what the hell is happening? And yeah, I, yeah. I felt that, that because this book is so much older than a lot of things that rely on amnesia as a, as a plot device... 
it, it doesn't run out. And one of the things that Drew mentioned as well is the fact that this story took, like, the first half of the book mm-hmm. just to figure out, like, what the, what what's going on? Like, what's his memory? A lot of the time is spent him trying to fake his way through. And it's not by, like, page six. He's like, oh, I've regained my memory. It's... And then they constantly yeah. reference back to it. it. Like, literally, like, like the journey is... Like, other people are going on their journey, and he's just like, I'm along for the ride with you, but I'm really just trying to find out what the hell is going on. He's riding the wave. That's why it was yeah, yeah. well done. Not because it was it was something that was talked about casually. Like, we've all read books where plot devices introduced in the first paragraph, and then it's mentioned once in the fourth chapter, and then once in the 27th chapter, and then the book ends. And you're like, okay, why was that, why was that even important? Yeah, yeah. So. No, that's that's a really good point about how the the book is paced and and how his character arc develops, and it it would be really easy for an author to take this premise and have him regain his memory in chapter two, and then and then you can really get the story going. But instead, he decided, you know what? No, this is the story, and I appreciated that. And what it reminded me of, like, I was hooked right away. I will say that. Um. All right, what were we talking about, boys? Yeah, sorry about that. We had some tef- technical difficulties there, but I, I believe I was talking about my first reaction to this. Uh, basically, like Alan, I was pretty much drawn in right away. Um, I, I liked the mystery of it, and I liked how that mystery played out over a longer span than just like the first chapter, first or second chapter, you know, the way you might see in another book. And what it really reminded me of in a lot of ways was Gene Wolfe. He likes to play with unreliable narrators a lot, and he has written a couple of books, a couple of short stories, where the main characters have amnesia. Uh, One of his most famous series is The uh, Soldier in the Mist, um, which is about a, a Greek soldier who is injured in a battle and is trying to find his way home, but he had a head injury, and so every morning he wakes up and he has forgotten. He has like daily recurring amnesia. Oh, wow. And and so I, I got similar vibes from this right away. I'm not gonna say that like the prose was on Gene Wolfe's level, because very very few writers can, can <laughs> achieve those lofty heights, but the prose was good. And and it carried the mystery really well. And what I appreciated about it was how seamlessly he switched between more elevated language, more flowery prose, and then very uh, natural, casual kind of jargon and things where one moment Corwin is speaking with thee and thy and, and, you know, all of this stuff. And the next second he's like, well, I screwed up. Like, you know, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, you know, I definitely noticed that. Like, Zelazny's dialogue has... The dialogue specifically has a more modern feel. Uh, Not many of his characters are really prone to flowery language. I mean, Corwin's internal language is is a different matter. But when when the the characters are actually speaking, they're very simple, they're very straightforward. I, I find that... A lot of authors in, in, in fantasy, they, they treat dialogue in some ways like, like art. A character will say something, another character will take it up, and he'll lift it up into the light and take a closer look at it. He'll play, he'll juggle it back and forth, play with their words. Not so Zelazny's characters. Like, this book, particularly from Corwin, is, is short, terse, 
direct responses, clever comebacks. Corwin at times, to me, feels yeah. almost like a verbal martial artist. He's he's taking someone else's swing and he's just casually turning a wrist or applying the right pressure right on the elbow. Yeah. He's completely disarming without any wasted effort in a lot of areas. So I, I did appreciate Corwin's spoken dialogue. And of course, his internal dialogue is where he gets a little more uh, well, flowery in his language. I, I would... I would point out that it, it kind of depends on to whom he's speaking as far as his spoken dialogue goes. Because sometimes when he's talking to people, like when he's talking to Rain in Amber when he's in the prison, yeah. he uses more elevated language. And when he talks to, uh, what was it, Dworkin, he uses more elevated language. But then when he's talking with Blaze or when he's talking with the siblings in general. Flora, you know, mm. he's using very straightforward uh, vernacular kind of kind of stuff instead of this like stilted Shakespearean almost language. I like the fact that the that his dialogue as well doesn't feel like it matches perfectly with what the environment is because yes. I feel like when he's first talking to Moira and Moira comes down and sees him at his chambers after they well done my boy <laughs> only 75 yeah. pages in anyways um, but but she's 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 like oh i i've heard tales of your exploits and he's like he's like and right before that he's like he's like oh i'm so pleased to meet you and he's all he's using thines and these and everything like that and then she's like mm-hmm. and, and she's like I'm, I'm, i've like heard all of your exploits he's like i don't remember them and he, he just kind of he uh, kind of yeah. he, he just kind of adapts to it he's he's like look i don't have to pretend i know what's going on anymore so i'm just going to be like uh, i guess <laughs> So, yeah, I, I like that too. It, it is, you know, they're, they, you, you brought up that scene in, in Rebma. Oh my gosh, that <laughs> word is going to trip me up every single time. Let me say, I thought it was Redma this whole time because for the first three quarters of the book, I was listening on audiobook at work. <laughs> oh. I thought it was Redma. Was yeah, like, yeah. And Reading then you read it, what? and it's then nice. you read it, and you're like, "Oh, Rebma! It's just amber yeah. backwards. That's not very clever." It's amber backwards. Yeah. Is it? Oh my god! <laughs> How did I not notice that? <laughs> because you thought it was Redma. <laughs> I, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, you know what? Thank you, Al. You kind of saved my pride there a little bit, but I still should have realized it somewhere in the past three hours I've been reading this book, on and off. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Ooh, that's one of the pride. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, but, but yeah, the. the just the way the the conversation and the dialogue start when they're in Rebma, mm-hmm. uh, you know, very lofty language. You know, what mean you? Asked Deirdre. Yeah. Surely you recall that one time Prince Random came into my realm as a friend and did thereafter depart in haste. You know, like that kind of language. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and then the next scene when she's in his chambers, you know, it starts with hail, you know, Lord Corwin of Amber. Often have I wished to meet thee and I thee. Your exploits are legend, and then he goes, "Thank you, but I barely recall the high points." Right there, that that <laughs> one right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's exactly that. Like he he shifts between these different kinds of language and dialogue mm-hmm. depending on the situation, mm-hmm. and I really appreciated that. Mm-hmm. You, you could you could tell there was um, deliberation on the part of the author mm-hmm. choosing. All right, when and where are my characters going to speak? how you know yeah and there's something to be said about the choice of putting one right after another so you have that juxtaposition right there in a single in mm-hmm. a single exchange instead of you know gradually changing it over the course of a chapter you know it's it's stark it, it the contrast is right there and it's comical a lot of in a lot of ways in in, in direct contrast i liked it I, I really did yeah 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 there were a few points where this book made me chuckle for sure yeah mm. yeah 
what else do I have here about about uh, style here? Bum, 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 bum. Uh, oh, he's got <laughs> he's got uh, a very very uh, uh, interesting line here. I'm just gonna send you guys a, a real quick picture, and this is important. This is vital for this oh next point that I'm about to make. Oh damn, we're not in a in an actual chat right now. I can't actually send it, can I? Uh, I I see a chat with the two of us here. I'm gonna this chat. I just sent a message. Okay, perfect. I'll take that message. <laughs> perfect, and then I'll send a picture back. Dude, I can't see it on my phone or my my laptop, but I can see it on my phone apparently. Excellent. So check out that picture I just sent you right there. Now, ooh, gorgeous. Now, I wrote down in accompaniment with this picture that's sending to you guys. The lastly has this knack for nailing a description in chat. I want to say it's chapter two. Okay. Evelyn's eyes, Evelyn's mm-hmm. eyes are described at one point being the color of Lake Erie at mm-hmm. 3 o'clock on a cloudless summer afternoon. Mm-hmm. Now, yep. for those who don't know, which I assume is pretty much every, everybody listening, including perhaps the other two dudes I'm talking to right now, if they've forgotten, Lake Erie is about five minutes away from my house. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah, you're in Leamington. On the spur of the moment, I decided to go and take a picture of Lake Erie at 3 <laughs> o'clock on a cloudless nice. summer afternoon. And it really is something. So, I shared that with you guys. You can see it here. Maybe we'll share it in the description of this episode when it goes live on the social yeah, media. Yeah, I was going to say, I think this, this picture needs to go up on our Facebook group after oh, yeah. the episode goes live. Yeah. You're just That's lucky what... it was cloudless. Because if it was cloudy, like they, the moment well, would have to... been lost. <laughs> well, I had to wait. I had to wait. Believe it or not, because when I read it, it was storming here in, at that moment. But I on the on the way home yesterday, as I had you know finished, I was like three three quarters of the way through the book. It was very hot yesterday. It may or may not have been three o'clock. It might have been closer to five. <laughs> but <laughs> it's still there. It's still there, and you can see it. It's it really is something. So I just I, I wanted to point out a little bit of a chuckle that I had when I read that line. I was like, oh, he knows. He knows. And I wonder where the hell this guy's from. Like I said, I haven't looked up anything about this author. Yeah, I have no idea. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> I don't... Like, I know he's dead. <laughs> um, and I knew, like, he, he was, like, someplace in, like, like the Middle States or something like that. It's someplace. Well, we'll include it in the description there. But, yeah, I, I, I did definitely find that line a little bit enjoyable. So, mm-hmm. And I yeah. had the opportunity myself to go and see in person what the author was talking about five mm-hmm. minutes away from house, so... Yeah. Yeah. Um, anything else about his style that you gentlemen want to discuss before we dive into our characters? I wanted to talk a little bit more about in terms of like the description and the style in terms of him okay. laying a scenario. One of the things that I liked is that a lot of the times is like is when we'll read books of this type of genre. Let's be honest, there aren't a whole lot of books that I read for fun that don't involve somebody being decapitated at some point in time. <laughs> one way or another, one way or another, like a, like a bug pops out of somebody's chest, or a broadsword gets whipped out. Something like that happens. But I felt that like he describes like like there are battle scenes that he talks about briefly, but he talks about other things as well that he describes that are a lot more relatable. Like like right at the beginning of the second chapter, when he he talks like he he gets at a greenwood. And he's like, he's like, I had breakfast. And he just talks about his breakfast. He's like, this was good. Bacon was too greasy. And I immediately was like, ah, there's a connection moment that I have with the narrator. Because I'm like, I know what it's like to go to a diner and have bacon that's too greasy. This is relatable. So I feel like, the, 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 like lining up the scene, like if he talks about what it's like charging across a, uh, a field on some, some quarter horse and he's got a lance and he spears some guy in the face. Well, that's cool. I, I have no relation to that. 
Like, that's never happened to me. I was on a horse when I was seven, and they were scary, and one bit me, and I was like, F- horses. This is no good. So, but, horses. Alan Keeler, 2020. Like, no, the fucking horse bit me. Like, what an asshole. And, yeah, but, yeah. but I have kind no relation to that. But, but when he talks about other things, like, I can... Bite. I, I'm, I'm brought into kind of like his mindset and his environment because he talks about things that are relatable instead of yes. like grand lofty ideas. So, I just wanted to kind of bring it up. Uh, it was one of the notes I had. Hell yeah. Uh, that ties into what my last style point was, and that, that is what kind of fantasy this is, and that it is a portal fantasy. It is one that starts us off on Earth, mm-hmm. where it grounds us in a world we know allows us to to kind of get comfortable before throwing us off the deep end into the weird stuff mm-hmm. you know where suddenly we're going through these like alternate dimension shadows yeah that mercedes and... ride was mm-hmm. a, a yeah. trip and a half right there mm-hmm. yeah exactly like, did i and drop so... acid while i was listening to this and not realize it <laughs> yeah you have to you start and, you read and... through it and you're like wait what did, what did he say and you gotta like go back up yeah. and you're like i did have to do a few rewinds like wait 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 wait, wait. yeah 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 totally yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, and, and this is the the kind of fantasy that at the time was a little more common. Uh, I I was struck a lot by the similarities between, for instance, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and you know the Chronicles of okay, Narnia yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. and the Chronicles of Amber here, where yeah, you you don't necessarily have that just like immediate shift into another world, but the way he uses the real world to ground the reader in the story before moving you to the new place. And then by the end of the book, you feel almost more comfortable in the new place, in the the fantasy world, than you do in the real world. Because now you're like, well, the real world, do I even know the real world anymore? You know? Mm. And in this, it's explicitly stated, like, the real world literally isn't the real world. It is shadow. shadow. (laughs) Amber is substance. Amber is the real world. It's a neat idea. It is. Yeah. Have you guys guys read the the rest of the the books on there? Because if you haven't, it gets... Like, no, like it's no, like, no, like no. this is my first. I I've read all of the books probably at minimum each of them individually more than two dozen times. So I've read this a lot. It gets oh, wow. it gets Damn. like the the way that he ties it through. Like a lot of things that you're talking about. I like for the people that haven't read them either. It's it ties itself in more and it gets really cool. Really, Anyways, I I, I could talk about this forever. Sorry. <laughs> I'll shut up now. Sweet, no, it's all right. This is exactly how I feel when I'm talking about Mistborn or Stormlight, a bo- books that I've, or Wheel of Time that I've read mm. dozens of times. And it's yeah. just like, you, you try to compress as much information and excitement into as few words as possible, and nothing you can do quite justifies what you're feeling. Oh, it's like, yeah. you just you have to experience it. I remember the first time I read Mistborn, after you were like, read it. Like, you probably after I told you to read Amber a hundred times, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and you told me to read Mistborn a hundred times, and I read Mistborn, and I was like, oh, now I get it. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. do we want to move into character discussion? Let's here? move into characters, and let's start with our main man, Mr. Corwin. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> you know, I uh, Corwin, in the first chapter or two, is really the only Corwin that I can say it, with confidence that I like as a person. Uh, once he gets his memory back, I stopped liking him as much as I did. You know, he's, I still didn't stop liking him entirely. Uh, his his introduction though was superb. Like I particularly enjoyed that first scene in the hospital, Greenwood, I think it's called. Yep, Green. That little cheeky knock on the threshold of the door. He's like, "Good morning, you're in trouble." Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, I loved those little moments. He has these badass one-liners, mm-hmm. but you know, after he regains his memories, to me, he just kind of becomes this cold, ruthless bastard with the rest of his family. Like he immediately feels more confident, but it's to like a, an arrogant 
cocky degree in some ways. He's he's not without redemption. Mm-hmm. He still appears to have a conscience. There's a moment, and I wrote this down actually, the quote itself, during the raising of his own army to complement Blaze's army that I wrote down. Like he's considering the creatures that he's brought into the fight. Mm-hmm. He says, I walked among shadows and found a race of furry creatures, dark and clawed and fanged, reasonably manlike, and about as intelligent as a freshman in the high school of your choice. Sorry, kids. But what I mean is that they were loyal, devoted, honest, and too easily screwed over by bastards like me and my brother. I felt like the DJ of your choice. I don't know what the hell he means by that. And around 100,000 worshipped us to the extent of taking up arms. Blaze was impressed and shut up. After a week, my shoulder was healed. After two months, we had our quarter million and more. Um, you know, like even in moments like this, like, I guess this could be perhaps a little bit something I could have brought up in our style discussion. But like moments like these show you that months can fly by. Sometimes years can fly by yes. with this kind of style in the space of a few sentences. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. Yep. No, I, I think it's a, a good point that you bring up about how different Corwin is before walking the pattern and after. Yeah. Uh, and and to me, it almost feels like this is two different books. Uh, even though the book is like, you know, 175 pages, yeah. it's super tidy. But like, it, it feels to me almost like the first half of this book is a novelette. And the second half of the book is the sequel to the first novelette. Mm-hmm. Uh, where... He goes through character arcs, but they there are like two different character arcs that he goes through, and they're very different. They don't necessarily grow out of one another. Like the first one is just all about him being like, okay, how am I going to be resourceful? How am I going to learn about this? How am I going to survive and and achieve his goal? And then the second part, he's like, you know, he doesn't grow as a person anymore. I don't. I don't think the way he did in the first half. And it's more about him proving to himself, I belong. Like, you know, it's such a big deal to him when he fights Eric uh, with, you know, when they they have a duel with swords. And he he can prove to himself, no, I am as good as Eric is. And then they have their battle through the trump card, the the battle of wills. And he wins and he he proves to himself once again, I I am capable. Mm -hmm. And that, that is the the character arc he undergoes in the second half of the book is more about just proving his own confidence and ability. Whereas the first half, it was discovering who he is. If that makes sense. I feel like you're, you're missing a, a part in there. And that's all, this is probably, probably because I've read the book so many times and I've read later stuff as well <laughs> yeah. is because yeah. part of what it is as well as it's don't forget is that he's spent time on earth developing and what they don't talk about is how long mm-hmm. he's been on earth and outside of amber he's been there for like oh yes he's been there for years, like something like that no he's been there since the oh, way since longer. the plagues yeah. like yeah, 600 yeah. years oh sorry i thought you said 60 years no but he's no sorry so, oh yeah so, i heard 62 yeah, so he's, <laughs> oh, really? he's been on earth <laughs> for 600 years developing his own personality separate from all of his asshole siblings right so he spent mm-hmm. 600 years developing his personality. So what he's got now is he's got been he's been reimbued with two people. Yeah. So what it is is it's it's like 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 he he walks the pattern and he's like oh here's this new door to walk through and he tries to prove himself and everything like that. But there's so much of it as well is that he's trying to layer part A and part B of his life on top of each other and find out what the mm-hmm. f- is going on. And I find that all that 
that that later on it de- delves more into it. But I feel like what happens is he spends he, he spends yeah. the first part part A like learning who the hell he is, and then part B being his old self just because it's a new door that he's walked through. But part of the thing mm-hmm. is, is that 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 window of when he's in his cells, he's in there for years, and it's not his eyes are clawed out. His eyes are literally burnt out of his burnt skull, yeah, like yeah. like hot irons into your eye. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you don't like eyes, d- just don't read that part of it. But like, oh, no, uh, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. if you really hate eyes, this is the part that you <laughs> yeah. want to read. You're like, take that Technically eyes. Speaking, <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah. I, I, I can see where you're coming from that, and and it is something that I would expect to be explored more in further books, yeah. like how his the personality and the the life that he built for himself on Earth in in the shadows, so to speak, will conflict or merge, mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. um, with his personality as a Prince of Amber, mm-hmm. because they are very different things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, I, I, I still as we're still on Corwin here. I do want to say I, I really, really appreciated how he ended this book, literally with our last lines there, especially with our last few paragraphs. Mm-hmm. We get this sense of this duality as he realizes his mistake in crafting another path to Amber, an, an evil path to Amber, and how he's literally sailing into the horizon. Mm-hmm. We get first the white bird of his desire. Mm. And he sends a note saying, I am coming. But then, the blackbird of his desire. And he sends another note saying, I'll be back. Mm. You know, like, I, mm-hmm. I do love this duality, that, that, that this, this theme of having to correct a mistake that we get with somebody like Corwin. Because he is fantastically powerful. He has strength, inhuman oh, yeah. strength. Mm-hmm. But he's coming to realize more and more as we go throughout the story that with that strength comes greater f***-ups <laughs> that are going to take fixing afterwards. I love that. It's one way to put it. Yeah, a lot better yeah. than responsibility. Thanks, Uncle Ben. Jesus. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I, was, I was considering Uncle Ben in that moment, and I had to steer away from that. Thank you for No, I appreciate it. That's it, yeah. the best way to put it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's hard not to, you know? Yeah. But that's it. That's uh, everything I have about Corwin specifically. That, that's everything I have for Corwin as well. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Alan, anything else? Um, no, nothing else, nothing else on this book. If you guys decide to do the rest of the ten, then, then yeah, there's more <laughs> stuff. But in, for this book, yeah, I think that those are the big parts. I think him talking about his own realizations while he's in his cell are really emotionally potent. Like, I, I feel that... Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I feel I feel like like part of the thing is that, that he, like he describes the fact that it's garbage, and then he's like, oh yeah, by the way, it was garbage the next year and the year after that. And the fact that he doesn't talk about it anymore, he doesn't need to flush it out. Like, I feel like the reason the book is 165 pages is because Gor- Corwin isn't spending time holding up a skull and talking about how there's something was rotten in the state of Denmark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's okay. just like, he's like, the first year was so bad, like, these five things happened, and the year after, those five things happened, man! Like, I, I feel like it's... Yeah, it's yeah. Does that remind you of anybody? It's true? relatable. <laughs> no, I, I actually really liked that, how, how you know, we get the scene with Rain showing up and giving him, you know, the food and the, mm-hmm. the, the bread and meat and cheese and, and the wine and cigarettes, and then we have, like, the next two years where he's like, Oh yeah, and that second year, rain came twice. And the third year, he came six times. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and the only only descriptions we ever get about like 
the details of those later things were are when he talks about like saving the the one pack of smokes. Yeah. Or or uh, you know how he has to dump the wine bottles down the the latrine, mm-hmm. you know, to hide them. Mm-hmm. Uh, or and, and then of course the key later on is the boxes of matches. Yeah. Which which give him his ability to get out of the cell. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, no, I, I definitely saw moments like this for those who may have read and or listened to our episodes on Glenn Cook. You know, we uh, I had mm-hmm. a few complaints in that area, saying I just I don't like the idea that years can pass in this in the space of sentences. I just it's like I can see why, like narratively, it would it wouldn't be necessarily on occasion, but for me, it's just like what what wait wait a second, hold on, and I'm just I find myself wanting those years to be filled, even if it's going to be redundant. Mm-hmm. I don't. It, it's something yeah. that to me is very very jarring. Mm-hmm. I can see it definitely as like an older style. You don't see that very much. Nowadays, I mean, Glenn Cook, mm. when we were talking about Cook, I mean, he wrote those books in the 80s, and this book is written in the 70s, I, I believe, Yeah, right? 70s. That's old. Like, I think 1970, right? You know you know how I can tell it was a 70s? Well, actually, I wrote down at first it was an 80s, because I, I hadn't researched <laughs> it at all, but I thought it was 72. 80s. You know what detail it was that gave it away to me? At, near the beginning, if you'll notice, Corwin, when he escapes the hospital with the hush money there, mm-hmm. he, uh, on, his, on his list of necessities that he buys right out the gate one of those is listed as and I quote a pocket comb yep <laughs> a yeah. handkerchief and a pocket comb <laughs> I was like okay I get I, I think I know precisely which of the two decades this book was written in mm-hmm. oh yeah it, uh, yeah yeah it was it was published in 1970 yeah 70 on the dot was it? Mm-hmm. yeah nice well and so yeah we're talking about a book that's 49 years old 50 years old now 50 years old <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, like, it, wow. it's bonkers. This, this book is literally like our parents and grandparents. It's like, whoa, what the fuck? My mom is fifty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well and, and and like I I because I, I was I, I was rereading it again today just kind of to refresh myself. And when they talk about like random shows up at uh, at Flora's house and they describe him mm-hmm. as he's wearing a brown suit. And I was like, "Wow, brown yeah. suits have been out for a while." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was just like, "I was like, I, was, I have never seen anybody oh, wow. in like like a brown that. suit, unless it's a picture <laughs> of like the seventies, because or or yeah, like a movie, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because now a, I want him wearing a, a tan hat, piece. a tan suede hat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I got. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He's wearing suede shoes as well, like. Like wow, like I would love a pair of blue suede shoes, but Elvis sang about those, and that guy has been dead for a while. That toilet seat is cold and gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Yes, it is. Oh, that's oh. anyway. Any, uh, other characters to discuss. I mean, I only really wrote down in points that I wanted to bring up with Corwin, but I could still riff if you guys want to talk about random. If you guys want to talk about any of the other siblings, Blaze, Eric. I really liked Dworkin. Dworkin, okay. Yeah. Like when he shows up in the he's, cell, he's cool dude. and he's like, yeah, he's yeah. like, huh, cool. <laughs> like, this isn't what I expected. Like, yeah, he just shows up, and he's he's kind of, and, and he's like, he's like, oh, do you have anything to write with? And he's like, I've got a stylus. He's like, is this a sharpened spoon? He's like, he's <laughs> yeah. like, yes, it is. He's like, well, I guess we'll make two. Like, just, I, <laughs> like the fact that Dworkin just shows up and rolls with it. Dworkin, if you read more, Dworkin gets hilarious. Dworkin's... He's a yes man. Okay. It gets better than just a yes man. But, but, he, but, he, but Dworkin is just on another plane that, that we just aren't on and that the main character is not on. Like, he's here. It's not like Dworkin's here. It's like Dworkin's here. 
(laughs) They intersect, but other than that, like... (laughs) The more you talk about Dworkin, the more it's reinforcing my opinion of him, and I actually wanted to bring this up, because earlier in the episode, I made a comparison between the writing in this and the writing in some of Gene Wolfe's stories. Oh. And Dworkin forcibly reminded me of a character in the Book of the New Sun, Father Inire, who is this, like weird mysterious dude who like hangs out in the in between places of reality and does crazy stuff with teleportation and like and immediately upon Dworkin showing up in the cell I was just like oh my gosh yes (laughs) this is Father Nire like (laughs) (laughs) just just somebody that 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 provides the right level of contrast to reality Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I mean, the most of the weirdest things in Book of the New Sun are connected in one way or another to Father Inire. And here, the weirdest things are connected to Dworkin. Mm-hmm. In, in a way, like, he reminds me a bit of Albus Dumbledore. Oh, Somebody could, who doesn't quite see, see yeah. things on the same... He'll, he'll, say th- he'll see things on the same level as you, but he sees them from a different angle. Mm-hmm. And he always constantly challenging you to question just what you're taking for granted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah, I, I see that. Yeah, because I, I, didn't, I didn't really made connections to Dwork and any other characters in any other fiction that I had ever read before. Even though, like, I've I've read stuff like that. I just I've never done like the cross associations. So it's really interesting to see, like, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think <laughs> I, I liked Dworkin before that, but I, I appreciate him more now, realizing that, yeah, that that he's operating just just in different channels, I guess. Yeah. This is a character mm-hmm. who's been around for fifty years, so. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean that that very much plays into what we do on this podcast. You know, the constant cross referencing and, and comparing and contrasting, mm-hmm. and being like, "Oh, you know, we just read this book for the first time, and it reminded me of this other thing." Mm-hmm. And you know, it's what makes it fun. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah! But yeah, uh, I I wanted to bring up just one quick thing with with characters, um, Jopin. At the end, Jopin, the yeah, 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 my man, Jopin, mm-hmm. love him, yeah, love him. I, uh, I do plan to keep reading in this series, and I really hope he comes back. Mm-hmm. I was a little bummed when Corwin said, like, oh, I, I have the feeling that I'm never gonna see him again. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I hope so because I like this guy. Okay. <laughs> I don't, I, 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 I won't yeah. give you any subtle hints one way or the other. So I guess you're gonna have to read nine books to find out. <laughs> well, don't oh, worry. No. Those next nine books are are smaller than many single books that we're covering. Oh yeah, yeah. For <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So those of you who don't yeah, know, yeah. it's twelve hundred and eighteen. It's like twelve hundred and oh, twelve hundred and fifty-eight pages, not twenty-eight pages. Like, so the entire Chronicles of Amber are shorter than Oathbringer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> shorter than Book Three of the Star, and now to be and Rhythm, Rhythm of War, War now, yeah, because Which... he just announced it today at four hundred sixty thousand words. That's it's about the insane. same length as Oathbringer. Oh, Jesus. It's, it's longer. It is longer. It is it's about longer five, than It's about five thousand, maybe fifty-two hundred words longer than Oathbringer. Jesus Christ! Yeah. This man, <laughs> what a legend! How do we always end up circling back on Sanderson too? <laughs> it it just happens. We you just got to roll with it. We can't. Yeah, help it. Did you guys have any other characters you wanted to discuss, or do you want uh, to go into favorite scenes? Not particularly. Scenes? I mean, no, not particularly. Oh uh, yeah, favorite scenes. I can do favorite scenes. Definitely. Yeah. Sweet. So, okay, so this is how we're going to do this, just because, you know, Alan hasn't been here with us doing this yet. Um, Basically, we'll just go, instead of one of us listing all three, the other one listing all three, and the last one listing all three, we'll just go one at a time, starting with our third favorite scene. Sound good? Sure. All right. 
sweep. So I'll start. My third favorite is, I have to say that I still like. I referenced it earlier, and I'll reference it again. This opening scene when he's talking with the doctor, he being Corwin, how. <laughs> Despite the fact that he has no memory, he's just handling himself so well. He knows exactly how to disarm that guy. He knows exactly what he needs to say to get out of this place. He's he's just got this feeling of control, despite having no reason to, that it draws you in so much, and it immediately hooks you as a reader. You want to know why this guy is so competent, despite the fact that at, at this point he really shouldn't be. So I, I, I did that opening scene just for how well it was done and how well it brings the reader in. I just I sat there and I was like, this is like, oh, it's this is a perfect. I say this too much. I say this way too often, but I was going to say <laughs> it's a perfect way to start a book. <laughs> so the opening scene when he's threatening the doctor. That's my third favorite. So, no, so if anybody out there wants to write a book that they want Rob Santos to like, make sure you nail your opening scene. Na- nail your opening scene, especially <laughs> if you can nail that opening sentence. Mm-hmm. I'm your guy. Oh man! All right, who's next? Alan, you want to take it? Take it next. What's your What's your third favorite, my man? I was gonna go with the the doctor scene because I love that. Um, what I'll do though is I'll kind of go on the the second part as well, where um, where Corwin starts to um, starts to talk to to Flora for the first time as well. The whole mm-hmm. idea of him I'm trying to gauge how like, much like like in terms yeah, of the yeah, narrative, like like there's his narrative with her, and then there's his internal narrative, and his narrative with her is of course like. Oh yes, of course I know what I'm talking about. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> and then the inside, and, and you could just you can. I, I feel like it's well written. Is that like, there's the intensity behind him being like, what? <laughs> like, like he's just he's hung up and he's, he just doesn't know what's going on. And I, I feel like 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 the mood is set really well with him. Like I feel like with the doctor, you understand that he's like he's trying to figure out what's going on. But I feel like with Flora, a lot more of it is he's he's really trying to scrape stuff through, and I feel like it's it's yeah. elegantly done, and it's not. I, I feel like Zelazny, to his credit, doesn't spend eight hundred pages talking about like the color of her <laughs> eyes. He talks about her eyes in a paragraph, and it sets the tone, and then like th- then it builds in the environment. I feel like that part is really well done because because actually the Doctor yeah, right. was going to be my third favorite as well, so. Sweet. Jumping off of that, before we get into Drew's third favorite there, I just wanted to add mm-hmm. that there is something so hilarious just in, 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 in composition about the idea of somebody as competent as Corwin, who is in this moment clearly unable to admit that he doesn't know what they're talking about, mm-hmm. and how he has to find all of these ways to just give just enough information, just try to dip his toe in that water without diving in. It's just, the, mm-hmm. there's just comedy. There's pure comedy in there. And I, yeah. I would have appreciated make, seeing that scene longer. Mm-hmm. Just, it was, it was gold. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Drew, your third favorite, man. Uh, so my third favorite was the final scene in the lighthouse with Jopin and and mm. and just the, the brotherly nature of their final conversation. And I, I loved, you know, he poured us two drinks, then raised his and said... Good luck to you, Corwin. I hope to see you again one day. I didn't question the fact that he had called me by my proper name, and he smiled as he realized that I hadn't let it slip by. Like, just the the subtle interplay there, and the mutual respect shown. This is the kind of stuff I love in The Black Company, for instance. It, it Just the, the platonic bonds that characters grow together, and the yes. mutual respect that they earn. I, I love that kind of stuff. I'm a huge sucker for it. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. 
Okay, so my second favorite, we are on me, yes? Yep. Okay, mm -hmm. yeah, I just want to make sure I'm not getting out of order here, um, was this awesome, awesome little moment that, it's, it's an action moment that was really, really cool, and this was where Blaze falls over the side of a cliff, and then Corwin is, Blaze, catch, and he tosses him the trump cards, and you know, well, at least we hope, Blaze manages to, yeah, he, in he his totally fall, got out manages to get away just the that's like something that you would see in avengers movie you know with iron man falling down spoilers for an eight-year-old movie iron man falling down outside of the skyscraper and the the wrist brace like attaching itself and suddenly his armor's around him like this kind like these kinds of cinematic action sequences that are so few in in, in books that are 50 years old i find they don't seem to dominate a lot of the narrative they're, they're all the more poignant for it they're all the more awesome for it you know i, I did really appreciate that it was pretty cool yeah, yeah, it's a really good point. Alan, number two, what you got for us? Um, I think for number two, I like the moment when he has the the actual, like the first real conversation with Julian. Like not the whole, like, oh, the not, not the yeah, whole, yeah. I, I, I hunt beasts and I think of my relatives frequently or constantly. Not, not that line, but afterwards when he's talking to him on the side of a cliff. And he's like, look, and I think that this is, this is where we talk about like the first half versus the second half of the book is that, that Corwin's saying like, look, like, like I'm not killing you by choice. It's not an accident. I'm, I'm not killing you because I, it, again, he doesn't really get into it, but it's almost like you're not deserving of death. And that moment there mm. when he's talking about it, he's like, he, well, I, I can't remember the line, but it, it's like, it's like, remember that I spared your life when another would have taken it. I really love, yeah, yeah, okay. I love That's... that moment. And then, then, then they get in the car and they drive away and they just leave Julian and he's standing on the side of like a 10,000 foot tall cliff being like, oh, 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 yeah. oh shit. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that. before his eyes. Yeah. That's a long life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. So, Sweet. my second Sweet. favorite scene is, like Rob, uh, more of an action scene. And it's it's when um, Eric's burning down the forest, when he's burning the entire wow. valley. Yeah. yeah, And they have to jump in the river. That, that scene with Corwin in the river yeah. was, you know, to circle back to Sanderson again, it, it read like a Brandon Sanderson scene. One of these, one of these moments that... I can see it in my mind playing like a movie. It was so vivid. Yeah, just the red glow, the heat, the branches falling on fire, the arrows coming down into the water as soon as they clear the edge, you know, like and 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 the way he describes the, you know, when he takes a deep breath and he dives down and I could just feel my lungs burning with his. Mm -hmm. It it was beautifully written, mm -hmm. extremely vivid. Just uh, immersive, mm -hmm. pun intended. Mm -hmm. That was good. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Damn. All right, all right, all right. So, so my favorite scene. Um, I, I feel like I'm copping out here. I feel like I'm giving a cheap answer, but I just can't allow this one to slide. The entire last scene, again, with this duality, we have Corwin mm. realizing his mistake and creating in his curse as he's getting his eyes burned out with his hatred particularly with his endowed powers as a as you know the sun 
uh, God damn it, I'm forgetting his father's name. Oberon. Yes, Oberon, the son of Oberon. Yes. You know, realizing what he has done with that curse and the fact that it's even if it's not going to be him, it's going to be hell to fix someday, even if he wins the throne, having that duty fall to him. Like, it's so indicative to me of Corwin's character that much, having that much power and making, as I, as I said earlier, just making all the bigger f***-ups for it. Trying to find that balance between his strength and his wisdom. And I thought it was really, really appropriate. And again, with that imagery of the two birds, the bird of the black bird of his desire, the white bird of his desire, of course, in reverse order. I just, I thought it was such, such a great way to end the book. And that last line, I can't remember what it was now. I didn't write it down. The demon wind, demonic wind. I think oh, it's a demon. Yeah, wind. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Propelled so, by a demon so wind, well wasn't it? I've, uh, uh, right at the end. The last line. It's it is the last a line demon wind. Yeah, a demon wind mm-hmm. propelled me. East a demon east of the propelled sun. me east to the east of, of, the, east the, sun. of the sun. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I just I was it had I wasn't expecting to have an ending that epic after 175 pages of reading. It was <laughs> it was pretty badass. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I can definitely say going forward that even if even if somehow we don't find a way to fit it into our schedule in the next couple of years on this podcast, I will probably read the rest someday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Mm. Sweet. I feel like Alan, for my scene, first part, I love kind of the stretch from basically when they get down to hand-to-hand combat all the way to the blinding. And it's such a long piece. But in terms of, like, I find that I, like, I narrow it down. I'm like, all right, shave off here, shave off here, cut out this center section here. And I find that I wear myself down is that when he when they're fighting along and before and after the blaze moment... Or what I like. The Blaze moment to me, it's important, but it feels almost separate from this. What I love is I love the fact that showing like the like the, the, the second half of Corwin and when he's talking about the fact that he's counting down men as they're yes. going up the side of the mountain. I, I mm. love that part because Yeah. I don't- you, it, it's it's such a visceral <laughs> thing. He's like he's like we lost three, they lost seven, and like they're fighting up this side of Mount Colvier, and and it just it feels so like I feel like I'm in there and I'm watching the battle and everything like that, and he doesn't say a f-ing word about it. Like it's it nothing yeah. happens, and all that it is is like oh yeah this happened this happened, and it's it's just. It's like looking out over the ocean when you're in a boat. You see the crests of the wave, and I feel like it's so elegantly delivered. I love that part. In the entire book, if I had to boil the entire part down, if I said, if you could only read one page of the book, it would be right in there. That's what it would be. I love that. The emotional weight behind it is, for me, is phenomenal. Yeah, so that is also also my favorite scene in the book. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are... I could tell um, just from what I've read of Drew's material years and years before this, I knew that he would love this. <laughs> so there was one thing that that really struck me while reading this scene. First off, the imagery is incredible. This narrow staircase going up the mountain. Oh, yeah. Oh. Gorgeous set piece. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it was, for most of it, it was Blaze who was the the most impressive of the combatants. You know, where, where Corwin keeps thinking to himself, like, wow, he is on another level right Easy now. He's dashing blaze. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It reminded me of 
a, a, a scene in the old Star Wars expanded universe. I don't know if, Alan, if you ever read those books or how many of our listeners even have. Uh, it was in the last book of the uh, New Jedi Order uh, series. It was like 19 books long, written by a bunch of different authors. Um, but it, there's, there's a scene at the end where Luke Skywalker is fighting his way up a citadel, basically. Up the stairs on the outside of a citadel. And this character is is watching him. And it, it, the exact same thing. Single combat. An army going down the stairs versus Luke coming up the stairs. And and just the, the, the glory of it. The, mm-hmm. the pure poetry of mm-hmm. violence mm-hmm. Yeah. on the stairs struck me in, in this scene as well. Mm-hmm. And... And Alan, you you brought up exactly what I was going to say. The, just the the cut and dry um, description in the book of you know our our next guy was good and he killed four before he fell. You know that kind of a thing. And so what he does is he leaves it up to your imagination. How did yeah. that soldier kill four of them? Mm-hmm. And then you get lines like there's you know tossed in that made me laugh out loud. Was you know talking about this give and take and numbers and then our next guy wasn't very good and he died right away. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> mm. And and so Again, it's, it, yeah. like, it's like something Glenn Cook would write to me. Like exactly. I just yeah. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well I feel like not so, only yeah, that, with, that was my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Like I feel like, like like with that moment, not only with the dynamic of the sword fighting and like like the sword fighting mm-hmm. on the personal level and the combat on the larger level, and the 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 war on the larger level, the even larger level than that, is that mm-hmm. it also kept you grounded in Corwin's Corwin's Force. mindset at the time. Like he yeah. talks partway through, and he's he's like he's like, should I should I try to like should I try to trump out? Should I try to reach out to this person or that person? And mm-hmm. and he you can almost tell that. That as he's going along, he realizes that his helplessness and his his lack of no, it's not even a lack of he. It's it's a total awareness of his failure. There, I feel that yes. that that moment there is that like like I well, here I got the book open literally to the page. It said that that earlier. It said, nice. Then I saw Eric and I heard him shouting orders. If only I could reach him, but I couldn't. And then literally, like, like let's... And then, then two paragraphs later, it's... Uh, sorry. So we fought on, and I was cut down... I, and I was down to 100 men. Let's be brief. They killed everyone but me. At me, yeah. they threw nets and unleashed blunted arrows. Finally, I fell and was clubbed and hogtied. And then everything went away, but a nightmare which attached itself and wouldn't let go, no matter what. We had lost... And that's like that's those last three words punching you three times. Oh yeah, and 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 because because like, yeah. like this is a book, and the entire book sets you up that Corwin is the hero, yeah. and that it literally boils itself on page in my version ninety five, and it literally the last <laughs> line on that page is 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 finality. It's done, and and then you're like you. But but he's the good guy though, he's the guy who regained yeah, his yeah. memory and 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 tried really hard and he did his darndest. This this book here is for every kid out there who is who wanted to be an astronaut and parents told them that you could be whatever you wanted. 
right there. Yeah. yeah. And, and well, wow. well, and it's interesting to take it I'm in. Bummed out now. In the macro, where from the get go, you can just see the writing is on the wall when the storms start coming, and we hear these reports of Blaze's army losing. Tens of thousands of soldiers to oh, yeah. natural oh, disasters man. and animal attacks. And there's always and a new way. I kept thinking, what's, what's the next one going to be? Surely he's talked yeah. about everything, and suddenly there's another one. And I'm just and, like, oh, sh- okay. And so yeah. the whole time, it, it's there. The, the answer is there. They're going to lose. Mm. But because you're in, especially in a first-person perspective, oh, you're so yes. close to the character, mm-hmm. you, you have to think, well, no, they're going to overcome the odds, and they're going to win. And then things just keep getting worse. You're like, well, but there's going to be some way. There's going to... And then it gets worse. You're like, well, I still think it's they not, might figure it out. It's not and a then... single killing stroke. It is a long breakdown yeah. of, of, of everything that the characters have going for them. Piece by piece by piece by piece. So that you get, you get this sense of this pattern that you don't want to admit you're seeing. Exactly, yeah. 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 And then it just keeps go it keeps going there and you're yeah. No, it was I, I do want to say though I love how we're still talking so much about this book after we were going to be done. This testament to how great the book was, really. There was still to me a little bit of this huh at this moment where I realized they had started with how many troops? What was their, their like? They had like half a million yeah. at one point. Oh yeah, they've they? got their navy and they've and got yes. the army. The army's like a quarter mil alone or something like that. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah they even had even their quarter mil after yeah. he had been healing for a while. Um, but then they happened to lose their last units right as he was captured on their destination. I was like, that to me felt like, huh. That was a little convenient, but it was just so epic that I couldn't find a reason yeah. to complain. It was poetic. It was you know, yeah. It, it was poetic in the sense of the you know the the traditional like Greek mythology poems. You know, these, <laughs> yes, yeah. that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It was uh, it was a great recommendation, dude. Seriously. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I had heard of Chronicles of Amber. I had heard of Roger Zelazny before, but I mm-hmm. I never seriously looked into reading him. And uh, you know, I may have gotten to it eventually, but. I can't say that for sure, and I'm glad I read this book. So, well, and part of the yeah, thing is, well, I think it is the shortest episode. Yeah, so go, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say, I think it is the shortest book that we've done a whole weekly regular episode on. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. shorter than the Black Company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we we're finding all this extra time at the end to talk about how much we loved it. I mean, that's indicative right there of, of how we feel. I, I feel like yeah, one yeah. of the, one of the so, things about Zelazny is, is that Zelazny has won like eight Hugos and 12 Nebulas or something like that. Like like in terms of like when he was writing back when he was like when he would write books he, and people would wait for the next books these books were super popular. Think of this like I don't want to yeah. say like look the Beatles but the Beatles are a good analogy. It's like, <laughs> like right now if you played the Beatles on like whatever pop radio station people would call into the radio station. Well they wouldn't call they would text because of course but they'd be like this is garbage what <laughs> bullshit is this yeah, who yeah. hired Ringo as a drummer where's Miley Cyrus or whatever bullshit they're going to say. <laughs> Part of the thing is is that, that back when this stuff was written it was great and the, the it got lost it got lost in time like really this is 50 years mm. old and the fact that we can spend this much time talking about it but li- you can literally talk about this book page by page because honestly i feel that this is an a very well written book that that spans time like there's some books that you can read and you'll be like this is great and there are other books that you could read and they would be great in the time frame that you read them like there's greatness mm-hmm. and there's greatness when, and I feel like like this book. I don't want to say that it's great. I think it's great, but other people may not. 
But I feel that that this is a book that you could read in 50 years from now, and you could still read it, and you could still connect with it. And I feel yeah, like that's one of the things that. that makes it good. They make a damn good case for it. I, 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 yeah. I, I don't know. That's that's just kind of like my vibe about it. Because don't forget, I read this I when, when I was I eight. Totally so 25 years later, I can still read this book, and I still love it. Every single part of it. And and of yeah. the ten books, think, Nine Princes in Amber. Yeah. Nine Princes in Amber is, it makes the top half. I find the other books. Oh wow! And that's part of the thing is that that if you read all ten of them, you're gonna be like you you, you read through it and you recognize that Zelazny was a curt enough writer that he didn't write a ton of stuff. Like like yes, could he have embellished everything in here? Yes, he could have written a book the size of like a king size mattress, and I would have read every word of it. <laughs> but but I wouldn't have read it a second time. The fact that he wrote it short yeah. enough draws me in. Is that that like, like when he talks about the years, he, you see the crests crests of the way. And that's all that you mm-hmm. see. And then you say, like, oh, okay, I want to see more. And the only way you can get more is by returning to the text. And that is the testament to what a good book is. A book that draws you in. And a book that makes you think after you've read the last page. That is the sign of a good book. Nothing else. If you get to the end of a book, it could be the best book ever. If you never think about it again, if it's not implanted in your memory. Yeah. No, that's... What did it accomplish? I, I that's keep... I keep Go going ahead. back to Gene Wolfe. Like, it, it, I, I'm not going to say that this book had the same effect on me as the Book of the New Sun did, uh, or that the writing is as good as the Book of the New Sun, because uh, that is one of my absolute all-time favorite series. But it is reminiscent of it. Mm-hmm. the The writing is good in the same ways that Gene Wolfe's writing is good. the 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 story is captivating in the same ways that Gene Wolfe's stories are captivating, and as Alan, as you said, after I put the book down, I knew immediately, I was like, I'm going to be thinking about this for a while. I need to, I really need to form my opinion on this. I can't even just say, here's a a rating on this book right now, because I need to consider what I just read, what I just consumed. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm really glad, you know, we get to do this, this podcast and talk about it Mm -hmm. because that's what this kind of a book demands. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, damn, I wish I had any more of my drink left so I could drink to what both of you just said. <laughs> I'll share some of mine well, uh, as soon as I see you. Oh, yeah, man, yeah. I can smell it from over here. Oh, well, yeah. I, I think that's a pretty good note to go into the final draft, huh? It is. I'll start, since I'm assuming I have the boring choice here. In fact, I, I'm, uh, I've am i spent the past 20 minutes a little quieter than normal because I'm starting to feel a little iffy in my, in my tummy area. <laughs> because uh, right before going live, I decided to go upstairs and... and, and find something that I that I had spotted out of the corner of mine eye when I was making food the other day. I had forgotten about this bottle I had lying around. I found a bottle of Kahlua. Hmm. Right? Mm. So I decided going right before we're going live um, it's still a little late for me to have coffee though unfortunately because I'm going to have to go to bed in just a couple hours from this point have an early morning. I decided you know what YOLO. I'm going to try and drink this Kahlua straight. Just little sips at a time. Yeah. Would not recommend. <laughs> at all it was very sweet and sugary and disgusting and i can i swear to god i can still feel like i have like if i lick my cheeks on the inside i'll feel like sugar flakes coming off that's what it feels like it's i i I definitely would not recommend it that's what i was drinking over the course of this episode okay and that's my final draft entry some some room temperature Kahlua that i would not drink again on its own (laughs) 
That's so, why I just wait for an early report to get coffee next time. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, Alan, uh, talk to us about that majestic drink you have over there. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right, <laughs> hit me with it, dude. For those of you who weren't privy to the first 15 minutes of us, us us fangirls screaming over it, I, I originally <laughs> the plan was that I was going to drive down to where Rob lives, and we were going to do the, the podcast with him and I sitting next to each other, sharing a beverage. And yeah. as soon as that was planned, I, of course went out and, and, and did something foolish. For those of you who don't know me, foolish is kind of my <laughs> moniker. Um, and I went out and I got myself a bottle of Johnny Walker Blue Label. And and, uh, and, and this stuff... Well, there's there's a, a terminology uh, that they use in marksmanship. And is that is that are you shooting better than the gun or is the gun shooting better than you? So the idea of, of basically is your level of competence... <laughs> outmatched by whatever you're around. And I like to think of myself as a scotch drinker. I like scotch. And and this Amen, brother. This scotch is just too good for me. Like it's it's wasted on me. Like I, it, it's it's Oh my god. Like you you can hear the fan girl in me right now. How are you drinking it? You you have it uh you have it neat, splash of water, you have it on the rocks. I, I, what are you a doing? A couple of rocks every once in a while. I, I filled up a little thing of, of ice cubes, which I'm almost out of ice cubes there you go. because I've been drinking I've been drinking this bottle of Johnny Walker Blue and I have two kids, so my alcohol tolerance is quite low because I have to take care of them. Which <laughs> I don't want to say is the worst. But it definitely curtails my my ability to. to Is it as good as a bottle of Johnny Walker Blue? Your, your uh, yeah. fortitude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. And, and and if I had opened this sooner, my level of childcare in the previous weeks would have gone down. But but Rob and I were supposed to drink this together. So just remember, <laughs> oh, this is I'm Rob's gonna... fault. I'm like this yes. right now. I'm getting I'm getting sloppy because of you, Rob. I blame you. <laughs> yes, I have to admit. I mean, your what fault. he's referring to, of course, is the fact that we have been talking about this as as a Scotch for. I think I admitted to being a Scotch drinker three, four years ago. I was that we were talking with your dad too. Alan, yeah, Mr. yeah, Brad yeah. Killer. I remember. Shout yeah, to Brad. Mm-hmm. And, and he was like, "Oh, I think we have some of that somewhere. We'll, we'll try it sometime." And I was like, Ooh. "I have to come back up to London because you guys live a couple hours away from me." Mm-hmm. And we, we never got around to it. I did even... Cause if you had busted that out here in this basement here, Alan, I may... We may have actually had to put off the episode recording while I go and change my pants. <laughs> well, it's fortunate that we waited then. But th- then I, yeah, yeah. I... Rob, I promise you... Very glad I didn't have to witness that. Yeah, seriously. It would have gotten awkward and everything <laughs> like that. I, Rob would have gotten I, handsy again. It's, I don't know. This... I will not drink anymore. Oh I will put it back in the box until we meet again. So you and I can share this. Alan, back I so in, much appreciate that. That's going to take an iron will right there. Back in the silk-lined box that it came in. <laughs> it literally oh came in. God. Yeah, I mean... A silk-lined box. He was not joking. Like, <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. I want to take a screen cap. Hold it up, oh, Alan. Oh, hold oh, it up. Sorry, my, my apologies. I'll crop, I'll crop the bottle in your face in there. Oh, my <laughs> God. There you go. All right, we got it. And, yeah, it, it, oh my it nestles in there. And then, mm. then like all of all of the avid readers out there, it comes with a jacket cover. <laughs> a <laughs> it slip looks case. like a bookcase. Yeah, it comes with a slipcase. There, slip yeah, slip there we go. That's the word. I don't know the word. Brandon right Sanderson's I'm... Way of Kings leather bound. It had hit like 1.5 million before we got slipcases for that. But his scotch <laughs> comes with one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it is. 
like honestly, Rob, I'm on. I think I'm on my, like my fifth glass right now. Holy yeah. shit! This shit is fucking amazing. Awesome, awesome. Right. You're getting me so fucking excited for a fucking scotch, dude. Mm. Oh boy. Uh, it's so good. Oh boy. Sweet. Drew should come and visit well, us. Thank you, Alan. And you can drink yeah, all I'll of it. The... Once the Rona is done. There you go. Yeah, once, yeah, once... once Rona is done, I will get you a <laughs> I will get you a bottle for yourself. <laughs> Bullshit. I'm not gonna there's no way. Deal. That's like five birthdays. Virtual right. handshake. Pinky <laughs> promise. Yeah. I will oh pinky God. promise that there we go. There we go. Thank you with you guys right now. There it is. <laughs> All right. Oh, man. All right, Drew. What did you bring against the Johnny Walker Blue? So I I feel almost bad about how easy it was this week to bring in a thematically oh. appropriate beer because of the name Amber, the color. I am I am drinking a beer from Alaskan Brewing Company called simply Amber. <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty uh, easy. <laughs> because because amber ales are so popular, it's such a common style. Uh, you know, you, you you look at some of the most popular craft beers in the world. You look at things like Fat Tire. You know, it, that's an amber ale. Like it's it, they're everywhere. So it was just way too easy this time around. Yeah, I was thinking before when I thought I was going to have the time to go to the grocery store. I was like, this is probably going to be an easy selection for this episode. And then we got around to it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah. So not as exciting, but but very appropriate. Oh yeah, thematically, thematically <laughs> relevant right there. He's on point. Mm -hmm, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so this has been. Oh my gosh, I keep losing track. Seventy six. Seventy six. Yeah, episode seventy six yeah. of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Uh, next up, we are going back to Mistborn. We will be doing the first. Oh dang it! I think I said the first forty one chapters of Hero of Ages. Uh, it's Sweet. it's basically exactly half of the book. Mm -hmm. Um, we will uh, have another special guest on for that one. We're we're trying to go back to guests as much as we can, as you know we've seen the last few weeks here. So make sure you check those out. Mm -hmm. And if you're smart like Alan, check us out on Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Inking Out Loud, <laughs> <laughs> uh, where you can clearly recommend books for us to read. And uh, if you really want, you can come on as a guest and join mm -hmm. us for the discussion. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, as always, I'm your host, Drew McCaffrey. With me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Yeah, buddy. And our very special guest, Alan Keeler. I want to say thank you so much <laughs> for you guys having me on. And I'm so glad that I could expose you to a piece of literature that, one, doesn't take a thousand years to read, which can be appreciated, <laughs> yeah. but also the fact that you guys it, it, like right, it as right. well. Unless you're Drew McCaffrey, is reading... Yeah, I, I'm just, I'm just, like I'm his. glad that you, that I'm glad that we could talk for this long about something that we could all mutually enjoy. Like, I'm, I'm just, yes. I'm chuffed about that. Yeah, yes. So, uh, as, as always, <laughs> coronavirus, because... <laughs> yeah, because I could have been having some nice tasty scotch upon. Yeah, I just hung with mine. Yeah, and and I am recording at home instead of yep, uh, yep, yep. at Pat's as we normally do because I have been experiencing some COVID symptoms myself, Ooh. which is not ideal. But uh, I don't think Never I have is. it. The test came back negative, but got to be safe. So, yep. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so on on that happy note, <laughs> yay. <laughs> Thank you all for listening, and we will catch you next time. Bye, everyone.